We're going to do one more week about freedom today. Our last week talking about this, uh, maybe. I, I, didn't, I didn't intend on doing, to be honest with you, doing this at all. I preached a message at Easter, and I had something else planned for, the month of, for this month. And I preached on Easter, I talked about um, living in the power of eternal life today. And I saw such a response from people. They talked to me about how it was impacting to them. And I began to say, Lord, maybe this is something that we need to address. And I really felt the Spirit of the Lord say, yeah. Because what I try to do is I lay out what I'm going to preach a couple months in advance. I pray, I get away, I fast, and I say, God, what do you have coming forward? But I always do this. This is, I think, the the proper Pentecostal approach to anything. You plan, I always say you over-plan, but you'd be willing to throw it out the window at the inspiration of the Lord. A lot of people, what they want to do is they don't want to just not plan at all and say, oh, Lord, anoint me. That's not the way God works. We don't see him work like that in Scripture. God's a God of order and planning. You know, when he was going to deliver Israel, he comes to Moses and he goes, yeah, I've been hearing their cries for 400 years. You know, it's not like some instantaneous, suddenly kind of thing. Not at all. Um, God said, you know, man would sin and we'd eventually have a Savior. And the Lamb of God was slain from when? The foundations of the earth. Before he, made the, before he created the earth, he put in place the fact that the Savior, his son, would die. Uh, Jesus would die. So, so God's a God of planning. But what we do is we plan. But sometimes we understand as humans, our plans might not necessarily be God's plans. We do our best to hear them. But sometimes we say, oh, maybe it's for later. Maybe I, got it, maybe I got it wrong for now. Or maybe I got to tweak it. And so I really felt after that one week to just talk about the freedom that comes from living in this reality of eternal life today. That we have eternal life now. That it's not just a future hope. But it's also a present reality. And that present reality, living in the reality of that present reality, changes everything about our lives and our existence. It really should. Sometimes we feel this way, like, like, oh, just when I die and go to heaven, it'll be so great. You're supposed to live in that greatness today. There's things that'll change because we, we live on the other side, we live in, in the life in Christ in, in eternity where we don't have the, the involvement of sin anymore. We don't have the flesh in the sense that we do now that's been corrupted by sin. But the reality of the power and the freedom that comes from eternal life is breathed into you the moment you get saved. And then there's this exploring of it, this discovering of it, and this experiencing of it. That's what we're talking about these last number of weeks. We're talking about the freedom that comes from recognizing I'm in an eternal relationship with God now. That I'm living eternal life now. Some people talk about eternal life as it's, it's the afterlife. No, it's, yeah, it is. It's your life after a life dominated by sin. And now you have a life dominated by Jesus and filled with His Spirit. And we live in the reality of this now. So, so we've been talking about freedom for a few weeks related to this. And we started off talking about freedom from ownership to management. That was that idea of talking about that we think we own everything. And, but what God really wants is freedom and understanding that we live under His control and His provision. That He's the owner of everything. And it's very, uh, it, this is very anti-American. American is mine, mine, mine. You know, and, and but we God wants to say when we come to him he breathes life into us, the, the positions change and he becomes the ruler and the Lord of all. We sang it in our song today, that you're everything. I I've laid all down. That you're in charge of everything. Matter of fact, we sang that repeatedly today. Um, and so that's from from owner from ownership to management or the word biblical restewardship. There's freedom in that. It's a letting go. In that, we also saw um, uh, that we talked about freedom from worry and greed to abundance and generosity. That that generally, what happens is in this world, if we just live kind of controlling everything ourselves, um, we worry a lot because how am I going to pay the bills? How's this going to happen? And we become very greedy, like the farmer in the story that we read uh, from Luke chapter twelve. That he that he just kept hoarding more and more and more and more. And, and the Lord just said that was foolish. Matter of fact, we talked about how significant it was that Jesus said he, he was foolish because Jesus said we shouldn't call somebody foolish in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, then he calls this guy foolish. And he says he is, he is foolish. Um, he said you shouldn't call somebody a fool. But this man was acting foolishly because that day his very soul would be required of him. And so we talked about how to live in the reality of abundance. That God wants to bless us. But he wants to bless us for a reason. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Right? There's freedom in that. Um, Pastor Mitch told some stories about people who are saying the freedom and generosity. It's, it's freeing to be generous. To not do this, but to say, you know what? It's all God's. It's freeing to say, I don't have to worry if I'm going to have enough in my hands tomorrow. Because God's going to give me enough if I just keep giving it away. And that's what he does. And so there's incredible freedom in that. Freedom from the worry and greed of, of stuff. That's huge. 
Um, uh, by the way, by, by, I talked about a, I think it was AT&T commercial. And now it's ruined them for me. I, I told you I'd probably ruin them for you, but now that little girl who's saying, I just want more. More is better than less. I want more. I want more. Because, because I want more. And every time I watch that now, I go, yeah, that's the world. Enough is just a little bit more. And so that, there's freedom in not being like that. Matter of fact, watch that little girl. There's no freedom in that. Because she just wants more. Enough is never enough. But Jesus said enough is enough. That, I, that He is enough. Right? And we can trust Him. And so today, we're going to take another, ta- another stab at a freedom that we're supposed to have living in the reality of eternal life. And this one is, is, is deeper. It's one that I... Um, that that can cause some pain as we talk about it. I never come here on a Sunday morning looking to cause us pain, but it's one that I think can cause us pain. But if we will take the freedom from the one and go to the, to the, 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 the bondage of the one and go to the freedom that God offers us, you will experience incredible release and joy and fulfillment. And this is what we want to talk about today. Freedom from anger and resentment to forgiveness and fulfillment. Freedom from anger, and anger results in resentment in our lives. You get angry about something if you don't process the anger properly. You become resentful. Resentfulness becomes bitterness. You know, and you don't want to, you've, ever, you've met a bitter person, you just don't like to be around them. So the freedom from anger, which leads to resentment, to the freedom of forgiveness and fulfillment. That's what we want to, that's what we want to talk about today. Now, ask yourself, who wants to make that trade? Who wouldn't want to make that trade? You know, here's one of these sermons that you're going to be, you're going to be tempted to act spiritual today in your own mind. Say, well, it's not talking about me. I'll tell you this, it's talking about every one of us, what we're talking about today. See, as I've been preparing these, these messages on freedom, I've been trying to do this honestly look at the things in our lives, our meaning Church people, Christian people, people, here's, here's something about who you are, who we are. You're people who really care about God. You really care about your spiritual life, or you wouldn't waste your time coming here. You wouldn't give tithes and offerings, you wouldn't send your kids the programs, you wouldn't sacrifice other stuff to do this stuff, you know, and so we're people who really, we really do care about the things of God. And as I've been looking at us, my 25 years of, of pastoring almost now leading, inter, interacting with us, meaning us, me and everybody else in the church world, um, I've been just asking myself, what are those things that tend to rob us of our freedom? What are the things that are repetitive that I see? This is, it tends to be a real problem. Um, and as I come up with this about anger and resentment, um, I know I risk the possibility today of exposing some things in us that we would rather not see about ourselves. We'd rather not deal with about ourselves. After all, who wants to look in the mirror of life? And I really believe this is how I kind of look at life, and I can't say it from Scripture, it's right, but I kind of look at that the Holy Spirit, I look in the kind of the Holy Spirit mirror, and He illuminates the image He wants me to see if I do honest self-evaluation, and He shows me the good, and He also shows me the reality, the, the not-so-good. But he doesn't show me the not so good because he doesn't love me, just the opposite. He shows me the not so good because he wants to help me get better. And, you know, when I look in that mirror, we don't necessarily like to look in that mirror and see tendencies in us towards greed and towards pride and towards anger. You know, we, we don't often like to be honest and do, and do deep evaluation because it exposes us to us. We see the real deal. Because it's so much easier to live life on the surface. Just to live life right here in the surface layer and never get too deep. And we, lose our, we use our platitudes, and the church world is famous for it. You know, we just use our little Christianese and our little platitudes, and we never go below the surface at all. And although it may be easier to live on the surface, it's never better, and it's never healthier. In order to become the people that God desires for us to become, you understand that God has a plan for you. He desires us to become something. And what He desires us to become, is, it's all it's unique to each of us, but what it is, it is something incredibly beautiful. It's someone incredibly overcoming. It's someone incredibly fruitful. Those are the kind of people God intends His children to be. 
But to become those beautiful and overcoming and fruitful people that He intends for us to be, we first need to kind of get the spade and root out some of the stuff that holds us down and keeps us from the freedom that we need in order to, to run with God, to excel with God. And that's, what we're, that's what we want to think about. Well, as I have been going through this month process now of freedom and, and trying to expose, look in that mirror and let the Spirit of the Lord shine upon me and experience of, of you know, 20 plus years of pastoring people um, and seeing what's inside of me, you know, I'm having to deal with the reality of what I see. And I find that the freedom we're talking about today is really real in me. The, the lack of freedom sometimes, I should say. The, the reality of the other side of freedom, of the, of the chains, is really real in me and that it's really real in a whole bunch of us. This, we need freedom that we're bound by anger and resentment. You see, because here's a reality check of life as I think about just the reality of, of living and breathing. Do this where you go. <gasps> Was anybody not able to do that? Okay, so you're all alive? Okay, if you couldn't do that, <gasps> you're dead. So we're alive, you know. And um, if you're alive, no matter who you are, how smart you are, how long you've been serving God, how spiritual you may view yourself or others may view you, if you've lived at all, you have been hurt by other people. It's part of life. You have been hurt by people, by friends, by family members, some very seriously and some just in the course of life. And having been hurt by other people has created in you and all of us the opportunity, the opportunity for anger to occur. In fact, the Bible never says anger is bad. It just says deal with anger properly. It says be angry yet don't sin. Jesus got angry. He threw money tables over in the temple. He got angry. There's not, they didn't say anger is bad, but we all have opportunity for anger to happen in our life because we've been hurt. And if we don't deal with it properly, that anger turns into resentment. And it can turn into bitterness. Um, And that can develop in our lives. In fact, I'll tell you this, the older that you are, that the older you become, the more opportunities there have been for you to be hurt. So the more possibilities exist for you to be infected with undealt with anger, which leads to resentment. See, if you've lived 30, 40, 50, 60 years, some of you more than that, um, you've not been able to walk through that, that amount of life without being mistreated, misunderstood, hurt, and as a result, developing the possibility of developing strongholds of anger and resentment in your life. You see, and I want to be real honest with you. As I'm getting older, you know, 49 this year, a little while ago, um, some of you say a spring chicken, some of you guys say you are ancient, you know. As I'm getting older, I'm recognizing in myself as I get older, doing some honest evaluation, it's revealing to me that, that I have buried a lot of hurt and disappointment and pain in my life. And the fruit of that is anger that smolders and becomes resentment. Because a lot of times in the church world, we're not allowed to process anger, we think, because somehow it's unspiritual. We think that a lot of times. I'm going to debunk that today. And I'm finding something else as I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been finding out that I'm not alone. The older I get that kind of unearthing this and saying, that really is smoldering underneath. In fact, I'm discovering a malady that I find a lot of my peers, um, a lot of ministers who are about my age deal with. And I want to talk about that just for a brief second today to try to make a point. A lot of the people, I, I, I pray regularly with different pastors. I've got a group of pastors I pray with every other week. I've got some pastors who won't meet with those pastors, so I meet with them privately and pray with them. I've been working for years and years and years in this community. Came to the community in 2001, left for three years, came back. I've been knocking on doors and trying to get pastors to pray together since 2001 in northern Ozaki County. And I got a few, four or five, that will agree to do it regularly. And, and I have a lot of peers who I graduated from college with and I keep in contact with. And, and as, I'm, as I interact with these people that are kind of my age, I'm finding this common malady of people who give themselves to ministry, to church ministry, and I look at them and you really dig beneath the surface, and they're just seething cauldrons of anger. And they're filled with resentment. And the reason I'm pointing that out is not to try to get sympathy for any of us. Kind of just the opposite. 
I was thinking of it this way. The group of people that I'm thinking of, my peers in ministry, as a whole, are really dedicated to serving Jesus. Matter of fact, they've kind of abandoned it all for the sake of the call kind of people. They've given up careers, other kind of careers. They've given up the pursuit of money. They've given up the pursuit of their own life because they end up moving from place to place and doing these different things because they feel God wants them to. And I look at that group as a whole and I say they're, they're an incredibly dedicated group of people. They're generally very introspective. They spend a lot of time doing self-evaluation because they want to evaluate self to get better so they can serve God better. They're generally as a group very honest. They're generally as a group very loving and they're generally as a group of people who like to, who, who willingly forgive. Because here's one thing. You can't stand behind this and preach this without understanding that when you do this, three more fingers point back at you. So every time you preach about forgiveness or whatever, you always are dealing with the reality that I have to deal with it first. So that's one thing about ministry is it forces you to deal with it first. And as I look at this group as a whole, I say, these guys who've been doing this for a while tend towards unprocessed anger that leads to resentment. And it doesn't take much a lot of time just to set them off. Boom! Like a powder keg. And you're going, why is this? Shouldn't they be more content the longer they serve Jesus? And I look at that and I say, you know, I would think so. We'll talk about that as we go. But here's the reason I point that out about ministers today. If this is common among my peers who I think have these really good qualities and have have dedicated themselves to to a life of serving Christ, if it's common among them after they've walked for a few miles, then it's probably really common among all of us. You, You probably can't say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Because if it applies to my friends, it probably applies to you too. Have you spent some years on earth walking this, you know, this soil and interacting with people? You've got tons of opportunity to be hurt. And if hurt's not dealt with properly, pain, anger is not dealt with properly, it can become resentment and that can be ugly. Now, the reason I want us to think about this today is because of that word Freedom. And this is what I found from experience, and this is what I find from studying the God and Word of God, and this is what I find with interacting with people, is that there is no freedom in anger and resentment. Talk to a person who is bound by anger and resentment, and you find something. There's absolutely no freedom in their life. When every time you talk to them, all they're talking about, and it could you know, make a political thing, it could be either side of the political aisle. They hate, let's take it back a few years so we don't make a current, they hate George Bush or they love George Bush. They hate Barack Obama or they love Barack Obama, you know, and they're just seething with stuff about it, you know, and you understand that there's no freedom in unresolved, undealt with anger. And it just bubbles to the future, for the surface. You know somebody who's in a bad marriage, or has had a bad marriage in the past maybe, and the first thing that comes up to the, what you're talking about, with after two seconds you scratch the surface, and this bubbling resentment rises to the top, and you look at them and you go, there's no freedom in that, just the opposite, there's chain, chains. See, anger and resentment cripples us in life. They hold us back from becoming those beautiful, overcoming, fruitful people that God intends for His children to be. And that's what He intends for His children to be. Beautiful. He looks at you and He sees you as beautiful. Remember, He promised He will continue the work in you that He began when you first come to Him. He has this picture that He sees for you, and He wants to see you become this blossoming, beautiful, overcoming, fruitful person, because that's His will for your life. So, they keep us from, we, we don't get there though, if we're filled with anger that leads to resentment. And so, I was thinking about, first of all, how, how come? How come having anger and resentment in my life would keep me from becoming what I'm supposed to become, this overcoming, fruitful, beautiful person in Christ? Well, there's there's two, thing, two reasons I want to point out. There's maybe a dozen, but there's two that I want to point out before we get to the solution, because I think these two can help identify some things inside of us. The first reason I think that, that it keeps us from, from freedom is that when we hold on to anger and resentment, first of all, it limits our ability to trust. When you hold on to anger and it becomes resentment, that limits your ability to trust. And we're going to see how, that, how important that is. You see, anger and resentment, we said, result from being mistreated and hurt. And we don't like to get hurt. Anybody here like to get hurt? We have words for that. They're, they're psychological deviant um, diagnosis if you like to be hurt. 
because it's not normal to like to be hurt. And so anger and resentment result from being mistreated in an attempt then to keep from being hurt more, from keep from further pain. Our natural tendency is to build up walls because we conclude that we can't really trust anyone lest we get hurt again. So we keep people at arm's length, not allowing others to really get too close. We live on the surface with religious platitudes. How you doing? Fine. Good day? Yep. Nothing more than that. Friends, there's no freedom in this, and here's why. I felt, felt like the Lord gave me a picture in my mind. And I want you to see this picture in your mind today. There's no freedom in this because there's no freedom in a person's life when they have a self-made prison designed to keep people out. Keeping everybody at arm's length, putting up barriers in their life, what it really does is it keeps people out, right? And if you do that long enough, what happens? You put all these barriers... Pretty soon you've imprisoned yourself with barriers designed to keep hurt from coming in through people and when it really does that it keeps you from being able to go out. And you create your own prison that reduces your freedom. You can't just do what you want, what God wants, because you're imprisoned by these barriers because you're so afraid to get hurt by other people. There's no freedom in that. Do you understand the the heart of the gospel? The gospel is about setting us free to love. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about setting us free to love, to love God and to love others. It's to do what is, how do we say it at church? To be people who care. That's the heart of the gospel. To set us free to love. Set us free to care for other people. But I can't care for anybody. I can't love anybody. I can't even love God when I've got all these self-imposed barriers put up all around my life to keep other people from coming in close to me and hurting me. And see, we can't and we won't really love anybody as long as the fear of being hurt keeps us from ever getting close to others. And then that fear is manifest in anger towards people that pushes other people away. So, that's one, that's one reason we can't, that we can't get freedom in anger. Um, but not only does anger and resentment cripple us by limiting our ability to trust, that's the, that's the first way. It also does something else that's incredibly important that keeps us from really enjoying the freedom and enjoying the development inside of us that God wants us to have that leads to freedom. Freedom from the old. um, We break the chains of the old life. We gain the new life in Christ, which is freeing. That's God's plan. And so, another way that we're robbed of freedom if we don't deal with resentment and anger, anger and resentment, is that it robs us of our ability to develop the fruit of the Spirit that God desires to be developed inside of all of us. And friends, this is really big. Because here's one of the problems with Scripture. One of the problems with memorizing stuff and, and learning the Word, and you come up with the line, as you just learn to recite things, you say, and so the fruit of the Spirit is da 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 And it, what it really is doesn't sink in here. We just rattle it off. So fruit of the Spirit is one of those things. We just kind of pour it out there like it's you know something here's what it is da, 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 da. but we never really think about it but this is huge God's plan for your joy and your freedom the way the scriptures define it is it comes through developing the fruit of the spirit in your life the fruit of the spirit is the result of the activity of the spirit in your life so that you become who God wants you to become so that you can be free and that you can be productive and you can be blessed it comes he says the way it happens is it's from the life of the spirit the fruit of the spirit in your life and Scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit defines it. And turn with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to look at two sections here in Galatians. And you probably, a lot of you could quote this from memory, from Galatians chapter 5, on the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to read it for you here, and we're going to look at some other section in Galatians 5 in a second. But I want you to really pay attention to how he defines the fruit of the Spirit here. Because it defines something really beautiful that we're supposed to be seeing developed within us. So Galatians 5, chapter 22 and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Look at this list. Think about this for a second. This is where the real pleasure of life is found. The real pleasure of life is found in seeing these things develop in your life. 
real pleasure in life is found from having love. Giving and receiving love. Real pleasure in life has come when I'm being filled with joy instead of being filled with rage. It's no fun to be angry. Real, the real pleasure in life, the real enjoyment in life comes when I'm at peace in my heart, not when I'm full of turmoil. Turmoil, there's no, there's no joy, there's no freedom in that. And you go down the list and what we find is that the real pleasure of life is found by seeing the fruit of the Spirit developed in our life. It's the, what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's this kind of internal spiritual presence of God within us that's forming us. And what we find is, it's the kind of things that people often try to do, all kinds of fleshly things to try to accomplish. You see, people will do all kinds of things to find peace and joy and love, right? They'll do all kinds of stuff to find those things that, that God says are fruit of the Spirit. But here's a fact. You won't experience the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit or the freedom that comes with it if your life is gripped with resentment and anger. And this is part of what the Apostle Paul not all, but part of what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at in the book of Galatians chapter 5 when he's writing about the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds, the opposite, the deeds of the flesh. And what you notice about the deeds of the flesh, we're not going to read the whole section, but what you notice about the deeds of the flesh are many of these deeds of the flesh are tied to anger. And then the result of anger in your life building up. So just look at verse 20. Look at what it says about when we define the, the fruit of the Spirit, but it defines a whole list, you know, from verse 17 on down, talks about the flesh. In verse 20, just look at the ones that are tied to, to anger. He says, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, all these things are tied to anger. Then now look, at, now, now look over, starting in verse 13 of this chapter. I'm going to read 13 to 16. I want you to follow a process with me that Paul, I think he's trying to show his juxtaposition. He's trying to compare fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh and trying to say how they, don't co- they can't coexist is what we're talking about today. And so if you have one, you can't have the other. And the one leads to freedom, the other one leads to bondage. But look at starting verse 13. For you were called to what? To freedom. This is talking about freedom. You are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of of the flesh. Can you follow his thought process here? What he's saying? He says we're called to what? To freedom. And to freedom, as we read all the freedom, we're called to fruitfulness because that's the, talking about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. So we're called, his plan for us is to live in freedom and live in fruitfulness. But he says here that we can give up our freedom and then our fruitfulness by doing the opposite of loving one another. He says you can bite and devour one another. In other words, you can live lives of anger, lives of hostility, lives ruled by the flesh. And he says in verse 16 then, I'm going to look at the opposite of how he says it because it's just as true. He says that if we live these lives ruled by the, by the flesh, walking by the flesh, then we're not going to live lives of the Spirit and the Spirit's empowerment. The opposite of what verse 16 says. He says, live by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. But the opposite is true. Live by the flesh, you won't fulfill the desires or the fruitfulness of the Spirit. Now here's the point that he's making here. You can't have it both ways. You can't be filled with love and anger at the same time. You can't experience great joy when your heart is filled with resentment towards someone else who hurt you in the past. One is the fruit of the Spirit and one is the fruit of the flesh. And here's my honest evaluation. I see a lot of God's children who are being hindered from living in the spirit of freedom because they are gripped by anger and resentment. Maybe that's you. If I'm honest, I look in that mirror, it's me at times. It's my peers. I look at that honestly. That's not such a good picture, is it? But then here's the question. What do we do about it? Remember, God doesn't show us something in the mirror because He's just trying to pick on us or make us feel bad. He does it because He wants to get make us better. What do we do about it? How do we go from anger and resentment to forgiveness, 
and fulfillment. Well, there's a story in the book of Genesis, a really familiar story, but I think we're going to look at it maybe in a little different light, that shows us how we can get there. It's the story of the life of Joseph. We're going to turn there in a second in, in Genesis 42. In the life of Joseph, if anybody, if you know the story, if anybody ever had a reason to be filled with resentment and anger, it was Joseph. I don't know anybody else in the whole planet probably who would have as much reason to be angry as Joseph. He was sold as a slave by his brothers because they didn't like him because he was having God dreams. And he was sharing his God dreams and they didn't like what he had to say. And He was dad's favorite. Dad made him special clothes and they hated him because of it. It says that in the scripture, they hated him. And so his brothers threw him into a pit one day. They were going to kill him. But instead some traitors came by, so they bound him up and they brought him out of the pit and they sold him as a slave to go into Egypt as a, as a slave by his own brothers. God blessed him in slavery and in that process became a, a, the manager of a household of a wealthy and influential person. And there he was falsely accused of attempting to rape his employer's wife, which he never did. And he goes to prison. He lives in prison, and it says about the prison, it says he lived in the dungeon. He wasn't at like the Hilton. He lived in a dungeon. And we kind of look at it sometimes because it says he was put in charge of all the people in the prison, but it calls it a dungeon. So he lived in a horrible, rotten place. And he gets there in prison, and he still blesses people, and he still helps people, and he helps out a couple of people one day, and one of the men he helps by interpreting a dream, he says, remember me to Pharaoh when you get out, and the guy forgets all about him, and he spends many more years, at least two more years in prison after that. In his entire life he was mistreated, misunderstood, and he was hurt by those who should have loved him the most. He was hurt by his family and his friends, by those he served. And I would think that he would have developed into an angry and vengeful man. Matter of fact, a lot of times when people rise in prominence and they have anger inside, they become vengeful because now they have a platform for their vengeance and they mete out justice by themselves. And I would have imagined that that's the kind of guy he would have become, um, you know, imprisoned by the desire to get even. But that's not what we see in him. Rather, we find this man who offers forgiveness and grace. And after being reconciled, if you know the story, after being reconciled with his family, we find this man who is joyous. And what I'm going to say is his life illustrates what real, complete, total fulfillment is all about. Because at the end, when he's reconciled with his family, he knows something. He knows that the difficulty that he went through was all worth it. Because he accepted his life path that God had, had somehow allowed him to walk on. His brothers tried to take responsibility. He goes, yeah, you did it, but God had a plan in it. He accepted that life plan as God's plan for his life. And God's plan not only for his life, but his life for a purpose. His life so that he could save his relatives, his people, and that God could keep his promise to create a nation out of, his, out of him and his ancestors and his, the ones to follow. See, after being reconciled with his family, one of the most beautiful pictures in all the Bible I see is when they show the picture, I think it's in chapter 45, where he's wrapping his arms around his brother Benjamin, his youngest brother. And he's crying, it says, just weeping tears. But he's weeping tears of joy. Because he gets that his life really mattered. That all this really has a purpose. That he felt just heart fulfillment. And so in Joseph I see a picture of someone living in the freedom of forgiveness that led to fulfillment. Now his story, as we look at the whole of the story, I think sheds some light on how we can get there. How we can get to a life of, of for forgiveness and fulfillment. And in his story I see a process of how we can get there. And it's a process that he went through that allowed him to deal with his past hurts and escape anger and to, and to find fulfillment. But it's not a clean process. And I'm going to kind of say it's three parts, but I'm not saying it's like point A, point B, point B, step one, step two, step three. It's not that clean of a process. I'm sure many of the things that we're going to talk about overlap, and sometimes he probably gave more attention to one than to the other, but it's a process that we can see in his life, and I think we can learn from. And I see there's three components to it. The first two are revealed through the, the names he named his two sons that he had. And the last one's revealed through his encounter with his brothers. So let's start by looking at his, his life and his naming his two sons. 
Turn in your Bible to Genesis 41. Just hold your finger there. Think about his sons. After Joseph had been imprisoned, falsely sold as a slave, then imprisoned, then he correctly interprets Pharaoh's dream, which springs him from prison. Pharaoh says, you're so wise, I'll make you number two in the land. He now becomes number two in the land, and Pharaoh, to bless him, then gives him a wife and put him in charge of all of Egypt. Life had gone from really, really bad to really, really good, yet we know that the pain of his past was still very real, and he had the possibility to be chained by bitterness and anger. But that didn't happen to him, and I think these names reveal something. Look at chapter 41, starting at verse 51 and 52, just two verses. It said, Joseph's na- Joseph, remember this is after he's, got, he's living in blessing now. He's been set free. Pharaoh gives him a wife. He has two children, two boys. And he says, for Joseph named, and remember he chose the names. That's what's significant here. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And that's what Manasseh means, making to forget. Verse 52, and he named the second one Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And Ephraim means fruitfulness. So he names his first son after he goes through all this trial, and he's trying to not become this bitter man. He names his first son Manasseh. God has made me forget all my trouble and all my, and all my father's household. And look how he starts off. He says, God has made me forget. And the first thing, before we get into these three parts of the process, that I want us to understand, because I'm not diminishing at all the participation of God in here, but we're going to highlight the participation of us. So first of all, understand this. Joseph gives all the credit for what develops in his life to God. He knew God's empowerment had helped him to overcome and to become the man he was. He knew God's empowerment had helped him to even interpret the dreams and and live the life he was living. And we need to get this. Because when we are going to talk about what part we play in moving from anger and resentment to forgiveness and freedom, you need to know that it must be a work of God in your life. So he says this, his first son, God, Manasseh, has made me forget about all my trouble and all my father's household. You see, this is what I see happening. God helped him to do something. God helped Joseph to make a conscious decision. And this was the conscious decision in his life. He chose to put his past and to put his pain behind him. To not wallow in his past and not wallow in his pain. He did not dwell on it. He did not give energy to it by talking about it all the time, by reminding himself about it, by talking to every person that he ever met about it, saying, you know what, this is going wrong, or that went wrong in my past. And you've met those people who all they ever talk about is all the stuff that went wrong in their past. Joseph said, I'm not going to do that. He said this, God has helped me to do it. God's helped me to put my past behind me. And God will help all of us to do that also. See, he made a choice that he wasn't going to let his past define him. In church, to find freedom from anger, we have to do the same thing. You cannot let your past define who you are. And some of you, I know this because I know your life story, some of you have been abused, and you've been mistreated, and you've been lied to in life. But that does not define who you are. See, God sees you as beautiful, and He wants to help you forget He wants to help you move past your past. And one of the verses that I've been saying is one of God's key verses for us in 2013 is found in the book of Philippians where it simply says, forget what lies behind and reach forward to what's ahead. Forget it. The first step to breaking free from anger that comes from a past of pain is to call out to God for His strength to move forward and to stop feeding the pain of the past. That's the first thing. You've got to make this decision and say, I'm not gonna, I don't want that to define me anymore. And a lot of times, friends, we get great, we get great perks from allowing it to define us. Because people around us feel sorry for us. Oh yeah, that's the person who went through that. 
we make a decision. We say the past is not going to define me anymore. I was lied to. I was mistreated. I was told I was fat, dumb, and ugly or whatever else. I was told I never amount to anything. I was told I was worthless. These people hurt me. Those people did that. But that's not who I am. That's not who God sees me to be. And I'm going to make a decision by the grace of God to say, I'm going to leave the past in the past. I'm not going to dredge it up all the time. Friends, today is the day you declare that the past is in the past and you are not going to dig it up and to dwell on it anymore. It's an act of your will, empowered by the grace of God. So that's the first thing. We see that from his first son. Remember, the name of these sons, I think, is incredibly significant. Then he talks about his second son. And the order is significant, I believe. Because a lot of times I'd want to put the third point first, but I think God is saying, no, there's a process here. The second son, what do you name him? Ephraim. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Look, at Joseph did something here. An important step for your life and my life to get past anger and resentment and to go to forgiveness and fulfillment. Joseph decided to grow where he was planted. It's a great way to look at life, to blossom where you're planted. He decided to grow where he... And it was a choice. And we're going to see that in a minute. You know, the unfair things that were done to him took him to a place not of his choosing, a place that he calls here, what's he call it? The land of my affliction. He doesn't say the joyful place, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. He said, this is the land of my affliction. It wasn't his plan to live in Egypt. Yet he made a decision to prosper there. How come I say he made a decision? Because he chose to do things that allowed him to prosper. He chose to work really hard for Potiphar. And to bless his household. He chose to interpret the dreams of the men in prison when he could have sat there full of his arms and said, I don't belong here, I'm not helping anybody. But he didn't do that. He chose to get engaged and to prosper. He helped those guys. And then he says when he came out of prison and he was, and he was um, told Pharaoh the interpretation of his dream, he was then put in second of command in all of Egypt. He chose to work for the good of Egypt. He chose to give his life to seeing Egypt, the land of his affliction, be blessed. Can you imagine that? He embraced where he was and he said, I want to grow where he's planted. He did not think he could only prosper by returning to his homeland. And the same is for us, your homeland. What's that definition of your homeland? The things that are familiar. He didn't say, I have to have it go my way in order to be prosperous. He said, I trust God. And I'm going to grow where I'm planted. He didn't have to return back to to what he thought were his plans. He grew and he blossomed where God had placed him. And church, God's plan is to bless you. Your life may not have turned out as you planned. You thought you'd be married. You thought you'd be single. You thought you'd be skinny. You thought you'd be heavy. You thought you'd be rich. You knew you'd be poor. I don't know what it is. You thought you'd own a business and the business failed. Whatever it is, your life may not have turned out as you have planned. You may even be able to honestly say, you know what, I'm living in the land of affliction right now. But here's God's truth. God can and He wants to prosper you here and now. Don't think you, here's the mistake people make. Don't think you have to run somewhere else to find blessings. Don't think you have to be joined to somewhere else, someone else to find blessings. You know, if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if I just had a spouse, if I just had a best friend, somehow then I would find, find blessings. Don't think, of, don't think that. You have to find somebody else. Don't think you have to find something else. If I just had a better job, man, then I'd be blessed. You don't, have any, you don't need any of that. You can live in the land of affliction and God can bless you. You see, like Joseph, understand that God has brought you through both good and bad circumstances to get you where you are today, and His plan is for you to be fruitful here and now, not some other place. This is where you are. Grow where you're planted. Embrace where you are at, and allow God to bless you now and in the future. Remember, God's plan is to bless you isn't just a future hope but it's a present reality. We're living in the reality of eternal life today. Your eternal relationship with God is an eternal relationship designed to give you blessings and prosperity, even in the land of your affliction. So, his two sons, Manasseh, Ephraim. But now we come to what I think is the climax. The final point that ultimately turns to to the greatest level of fulfillment, and it's this. The final component to the process is this. You have to work through the pain of forgiveness. 
You have to work through the pain and the process of forgiveness. You see, to be truly blessed, to be truly fulfilled in life, Joseph couldn't just stop at forgetting the past. Sometimes we want to just stop there. I just, I'm dealt with the past. He couldn't just stop at forgetting the past. He needed to forgive the people who hurt him in the past. You see, his greatest fulfillment did not come from becoming rich under Pharaoh, and he became rich. You say, if I'm just rich, I'll be happy. His fulfillment didn't come from becoming rich under Pharaoh. It didn't come from having a nice family, because he had a nice family. He had a wife and two sons. And he called one of his sons this blessing. I've been blessed. So he's got, he's got all that. His greatest fulfillment came when he embraced those great blessings. He said, thank you God for them. And he forgave and reconciled with his family. That's when the great blessings came. Because in doing so, he could then make reason for the pain he went through. Sometimes we can't figure it all out, but we can at least say God brought me to where he brought me, and he loves me and he's got a plan for my life. He could say, I suffered for a reason. For him, it was clear to preserve his family and to see the promise of God fulfilled. But in all of us, God has a reason. He doesn't cause things, but he brings us through things because he loves us and he wants to bring us to fulfillment. There's a reason. See, his greatest fulfillment came through forgiveness. Now what I like about his story is that it shows that it was not easy for him to forgive. That's what I love. It says that forgiveness isn't natural, it's not easy, and it takes God. In chapters 42 to 45, and if you're not familiar with Genesis, I want you to later today read 42 to 45. Read the whole story, because you're going to see this is true. 42 to 45 tells the process of forgiveness. He didn't just see his brothers one day, they walk in before him and he goes, Oh, by the way, dudes, you're forgiven. He didn't do that at all. No, 42 to 45 shows the process that he went through. He worked through it. And I'm sure he battled with himself. And that's why we see in 42 to 45 this incredible wide range of emotions. And all these different activities he does with his, with his brothers that seem to make no sense. You know, one day he treats them kindly, and the next day he accuses them as spies. One day he, he tells them that they're all thieves, and the next day he puts their money back in their, in their, in their grain sacks. You know, one day he says that, that I'm going to throw you in prison, and he throws one in prison, and he threatens to have them all thrown in prison. And the next day he sets them free, and he has a bash, a big party for them. And you go, this guy is schizophrenic? What's he going through? He's just flipping out from emotion to emotion, doing all these things. No, what you're seeing living in front of us, and some commentators think this process took many months or even a couple of years to work through because his brothers went back to the promised land, then they came back to Egypt, they had eaten all that grain up, and so at least it was many, many months. We see Joseph working through the pain of forgiveness, and it resulted in his ultimate fulfillment. See, I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to forgive people who have hurt you. It's not. In fact, it's not natural. You want to know something? No matter what you think, your dog doesn't forgive you. He can't. Because he can't really be offended by you. You say, oh, my dog forgives. No, he's just dumb. You kick him, he licks you. Right? My dog is... I love my dog. You guys know this. And I told Suzanne, when our dog, he's got Lyme disease, he almost died. I said, I'm going to be broken hearted if he doesn't recover from Lyme disease. You know, I love my dog. But he can't really forgive. He doesn't have the capacity to forgive. He has the capacity to hold a grudge. You know what? It's unnatural to forgive. It's human and divine. Only people can forgive. And yeah, it's, it's painful, but yet, it's the path to fulfillment for you and for me, and it's possible as children of God. Jesus taught maybe the most difficult thing in all of Scripture, and it would be impossible had He not told us over and over that he was with us and empowering us. But he said, pray this way. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. When he said, define, just define how to pray, he put right there smack in the middle, you know what, ask to be forgiven, but you also need to forgive the people around you. Forgiveness, friends, must be empowered by God, and he will empower you to forgive as you commit to working through the pain in order to find freedom and fulfillment. And that's what you're doing. You're working through something for your benefit and others. See, forgiveness breaks the chains of anger and resentment, setting you free to love and to develop in the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit and develop in Christ-likeness. Freedom. 
from resentment that comes from anger to freedom of forgiveness and it results in fulfillment. That's what Joseph had. That's what God has in store for every single one of us. It's a freedom that only comes by the grace of God to the people of God. But it's available to you and it's available to me. And I just think as we close today, there just might happen to be some people in this place who say, you know what, if I'm honest and I look in that mirror, undealt with anger has caused resentment and bitterness in my life. And I hate living this way. And God's saying, I've given you a process to start walking through today. And what I hope from today is that you start the process. It took Joseph years. Yes, God, help me to forget, to, to not live in the past. You say, God, I want to I be blessed where I am. I'm not going to fight against where I am. I'm just going to embrace my present. And then God, in this, help me to forgive those who have hurt me in the past so I can soar, living in freedom. That's God's plan for you and for me. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I know I went a little longer than normal. I told Suzanne after I wrote my sermon, I said, we're in trouble. I have like four pages of more notes than normal and I couldn't cut out any of it. I thought, I think this is what God wants for us today. So thank you for your patience and being longer than normal. But I think it's worth it. If you can get a little handle on how to process from anger and resentment to forgiveness and fulfillment, it'll change your life. And my hope is this. I'm going to pray this in a minute. God, help the truth of your word now to to sink into our hearts and our spirits and help us to apply it in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this. You love us. You love every person in this place. It's your plan that they would become the beautiful, overcoming, fruitful people that you've intended for them. For all of us. And God, a lot of times I think we live short, living short of the freedom and the blessings that you have for us. And we know that one way that can happen today is just from anger that develops into resentment. It holds us back like a prison. It makes us keep people at bay. It keeps the fruit of the Spirit from being able to flourish because we can't nourish it because we're nourishing anger. God, I pray this for this church family. When I say this church family, Lord, I mean start with me. Help us.